Did you know that 11% of households in the KFLNA region live with food insecurity, meaning they cannot afford to buy the food they want and need for good health? Or that 16.1% of households in Ontario, over 2 million people, were food insecure in 2021? I'm your host for today, Christina Laurie, and in this three-part special docuseries here on CFRC 101.9 FM, Chancellor Miracle and I aim to shed light on the issue of food insecurity here in Kingston, Ontario. In this first segment, we'll be featuring interviews with some local experts to get a picture of what exactly food insecurity looks like and how it's impacting our community. What is food insecurity? According to KFLNA Public Health, the level of food insecurity can be described in a few ways. Being food secure is described as no or one indication of difficulty with income-related food access. Those who are moderately food insecure have an indication of compromising quality and or quantity of food consumed. And severely food insecure consists of indication of reduced food intake and disrupted eating patterns. I sat down with Tracy McDonough, public health dietitian at KFLNA, to discuss some of their recent findings, risk factors, and more. So just to get started, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Tracy McDonough. I am a registered dietitian at Kingston Frontenac Lennox and Addington Public Health. And part of my portfolio is conducting local food costing in the Kingston Frontenac Lennox and Addington area. Okay, perfect. And just to give us some general context for the situation here in Kingston, would you like to share some of your recent findings? So we know that uh, approximately 11% of households in our area um, are experiencing food insecurity, meaning they can't afford to buy the food that they want and need for good health. So someone living with food insecurity might have concerns about running out of food before there's enough money to buy more. They might be unable to afford a balanced diet. They may be going hungry, missing meals. And in extreme cases, they may not be eating for whole days because of a lack of money for food. Now, our agency has committed to conducting uh, local food costing annually, with the exception of a couple of years during the peak of the pandemic, um, when we simply uh, did not have the uh, ability staff-wise to conduct the costing. Um, so we were very happy to be able to resume our local food costing um, in uh, 2022. So for this process, we actually have um, trained surveyors uh, conduct food costing in uh, this year we did seven stores and it was a combination of online and in-store food costing. So from this costing, we found that it costs a family of four, so two adults and two young children, um, to buy healthy food in our area for one month, it costs them $1,099. Now, this basket of foods is um, in line with current dietary recommendations, and it is also reflective of our actual food consumption patterns. So they're foods that people in Canada are typically eating on a regular basis. It does not include, you know, extra food items that you might need if you're having extra people over to feed. Um, it also doesn't include household expenses like um, sometimes we might buy um, paper towel or toilet paper or other household products at a grocery store. This survey does not include that as strictly food items only. So what we have found um, from this year's, uh, or sorry, 2022 food costing is that um, for many families, many individuals, many households um, are unable to afford um, basic healthy food to um, meet their needs. So for instance, um, those, if a family of four with the two adults um, on Ontario Works, they actually, after paying for rent, they only have $393 remaining at the end of the month. 
it costs a family of four a thousand dollars and thousand ninety nine dollars to feed themselves healthy food. So they're simply unable to afford to do that. Um, we in our uh, cost of eating healthy report, we also have um, many income. Uh, scenarios. So we have a family scenario. Um, we have single parents. We have single individuals. So um, we try to portray our local food costing statistics in a way that's more meaningful and impactful. So we always compare um, the cost of eating healthy locally to what someone would have left over after paying for rent because that really helps to contextualize this information. Otherwise, it, it's hard to um, understand what those dollar amounts really mean. And I was wondering if you had any info about the mental and physical health impacts that this can have on an individual or a family or a community. Absolutely. So one of the reasons why as a health unit, we're so focused on the issue of food insecurity is because it really is a serious public health problem. Um, in Canada and locally, um, an individual's health and well-being is tightly linked with their household food security status. So adults who are food insecure have been found to have poor physical and mental health. They're more likely to have chronic conditions such as depression, diabetes, and heart disease. Food insecurity also puts adults at greater risk of developing serious chronic conditions. And we've actually seen some research using data that followed adults for over 10 years. And they found that adults living with food in, in food insecure households were more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes later in life. So food insecurity can definitely impact um, health and well-being of both adults and children. So for children, exposure to severe insecurity, food, sorry, severe food insecurity has been linked to an increased risk of developing depression and suicidal ideation in adolescence and early adulthood. And even in food insecure households where the child is not experiencing um, uh, food insecurity and food deprivation is only being experienced by the adults, those children still have had higher risk of developing an anxiety disorder and of having poor mental health than those living in food secure households. So this touches upon every age group. Um, so that's why as an organization, we are committed to um, both monitoring local food costing and uh, food insecurity and helping um, uh, advocate for change. Tracy also discussed which segments of the population are more likely to experience food insecurity than others. So we know there are certain segments of our population that are more likely to experience food insecurity than others. Um, these groups include Indigenous peoples, racialized Canadians, single mothers, people who rent their home, and low-income households, including those making minimum wage, those receiving workers' compensation benefits, and those relying on social assistance programs such as Ontario Works and Ontario Disability Support Program. Interestingly, most food insecure households are in the workforce. So 65% of those uh, living with food insecurity report their main income as being wages or salaries from employment. She also provided some information about some of the resources KFLNA Public Health provides.
with the understanding that income-based responses are necessary to address food insecurity, our organization, KFLNA Public Health, has committed to conducting regular local food costing. We have committed to ensuring that our local food costing is available for use by municipalities and community partners. And we've also committed to advocating for these income-based policies so that all of our residents can afford to buy healthy food. Since that interview, KFLNA Public Health has released an updated cost of eating healthy report in which they report that in 2022, the cost of eating healthy for a family of four, two adults and two children in the KFLNA region was approximately $1,099 per month. To find this report and more information on food insecurity in Kingston and the resources Tracy McDonough mentioned, you can head to kflaph.ca. We also got the perspective of a Queen's professor in the School of Kinesiology and Health Sciences and food insecurity expert, Dr. Elaine Power, who doubles down on the findings provided by Tracy McDonough and also discusses some of her own findings in our conversation. I've been at Queen's since 2004. I've been doing research on food insecurity for a long time, almost 30 years. Uh, for many years, I taught a course called the um, Health 101, the Social Determinants of Health, and uh I come to the topic of food insecurity as a former dietitian, as someone who thinks about it through the lens of health. I've also become an advocate for basic income that would be unconditional and available for everybody. To start us off, would you like to generally speak to the situation in Ontario and Kingston specifically? Well, we have some new data from, uh, there's a center at the University of Toronto um, called Proof, which uh, is a research center that's been um, examining rates of food insecurity and also pol potential policy solutions for food insecurity. And the latest data we have from 2021 suggests a rate of food insecurity um, of about 16%. Um, about half a million people in Ontario living in food insecure households and uh, including 20% um, of children, which is pretty disturbing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know the actual data for Kingston per se, but it's usually about the same as, you know, the around the provincial average. So probably about 16% of households in that would fall under the below the cut point for food insecurity. What kind of circumstances are indicators of food insecurity in households? Well, the, I mean, the most uh, important, um, well, the, the groups, there are some groups that are really at really high risk of food insecurity. Um, anybody on social assistance it, it has a really high chance of being food insecure. And that includes Ontario Works and Ontario Disability Support Program. And that's just because those rates are so low, they're impossibly low, it makes it you know, impossible for people to live. And so we, we can see that in Ontario, probably about 70% of people on social assistance are food insecure. So uh, if you have to rely on provincial assistance for any reason, um, you're very likely to be food insecure. The other, another group that's really vulnerable to food insecurity are families with children. Um, having children in this country puts you at higher risk of being food insecure. And that's especially true of single mothers. So if you're um, a, a, a parent, a woman who's parenting children and living without um, a partner, you're 
chance of being food insecure is well above the average. Um, if you're uh, if you've had had to rely on employment insurance or workers' compensation, you're at higher risk of uh, being food insecure. If you're indigenous, if you're um, a black person, um, if you're a you know person of color, you're more likely to be food insecure. Um, we also know, I mean, your question isn't so much about the national picture, but we have higher rates, you know, in the north of of Canada and northern Ontario in Indigenous communities and also on the East Coast. Um, and obviously, if you're working at a minimum wage job, you're also more likely to be food insecure. So even though the, you know, people on social assistance are the at higher risk of food insecurity. If we look at the group, the 6 million people in Canada who are food insecure, the majority have wages from, in, uh, sorry, income from wages, meaning that their uh, their wages are too low to um, ensure their food security, or they're maybe only working part-time or they're working you know, multiple part-time jobs and they're not making enough overall to, um, to ensure their food security. And the one group that we know that has a lower rate of food insecurity are seniors. And so there's actually been some really interesting research that shows for the lowest income seniors when they turn 65 and then they're eligible for old age security and the guaranteed income supplement, that their risk of food insecurity drops by about half. So um, that suggests one of the policy options that's available to address food insecurity. One of the stats I found really interesting was that most people who are food insecure, there's a misconception that everyone who's food insecure is either um, cannot find or is not employed. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we, we know that, you know, the minimum wage is quite a bit lower than um, the living wage. So the, a living wage for Kingston right now, I think is over $18 an hour. So that means uh, you'd have a household, you know, with two people working and two kids, it, uh, you would need to make at least, I don't remember, it's $18 and some change, <laughs> at least that amount to be able to cover just basic necessities. And we know that the minimum wage is only $15 an hour. And we also know that um, you know, many uh, minimum wage employers over the over these last, you know, 20 years or so have really um, turned to part-time employees uh, even even when people want to work full-time full-time mm -hmm. hours are often not available be, and the reason for that is um, once people are working full-time that they're all the employers are obligated to pay you know benefits and um, as a way to save money and not pay benefits they just keep people employed part-time so that's I mean I think that's a bit of a problem in my opinion. The last two years especially have been really difficult for this. So how has COVID-19 impacted this issue? Well, that's a really um, interesting question. Um, we know that from you know some analysis that the rate of poverty in Canada actually dropped in 2020 um, because the government you know, put money into supporting people and supporting the economy, the, the CERB in particular. Um, but on the other hand, we know that 42% um, of households who were relying on COVID benefits on you know, things like CERB were actually food insecure. So it's a bit of a mixed picture. Um, 
you know, in I think in some places uh, in Canada, you know, two thousand dollars a month, which was the amount of CERB, can cover your basic needs. But in other places like Toronto, <laughs> uh, they really can't. So, uh, as you say, overall poverty dropped in twenty twenty, but in terms of food insecurity, we know that the overall rate was up. What are some of the mental and physical health impacts that food insecurity can have on a community? So we we know there's some, again, some really good research that shows uh, food insecurity is linked with um, all kinds of, especially chronic disease. Um, and it, it maybe it's important to say that there's different levels of food insecurity. So at the first level, kind of the, you know, the least severe people are, are anxious and worried about running out of food because they don't have enough money. At the second level, they're cutting back the amounts and the quality of food that they buy. So they might buy cheaper food rather than healthier food, and they might be eliminating whole categories of food. So not surprisingly, you know, fruits and vegetables are one of the first to go because they're expensive um, and they've gotten even more expensive over the last year um, but th- of course those are the healthiest foods um, things like meat or and dairy products are also um, they they're also get they also get cut and people will sub- substitute um, f- filling foods and and if you think about things like um, you know margarine or oils they buy the cheapest kind which are also the most unhealthy so um, what we see is that as food insecurity gets worse, as people go from you know um, the least severe to the most severe, that the risk of illness goes up. Uh, in fact, even the risk of death goes up. So people who are the most food insecure are, are have a much higher um, risk of premature death. So I think that that's kind of the ultimate. You know, it's pretty hard and fast. That yeah, it's a it's a pretty easy thing to measure, and it's pretty uh, you know it's uh, quite um, startling to see the rise in um, risk of premature death. So there's also been some research that shows that um, healthcare costs also follow the same gradient as you move from the least severe to the most severe. Healthcare costs go up. We see really high rates, not again, not that surprisingly of mental illness, you know, people um, with depression or anxiety, especially, I mean, it's not surprising if you're trying to live on $800 a month, which is, you know, more or less what people on social assistance get on Ontario works. It's not surprising you'd be depressed. And if you have a family and you're struggling to feed your kids, again, you would, it's not anybody would be depressed and then that also makes it harder to manage the food insecurity so it turns into a really kind of vicious cycle because um, you know food insecurity is something that people that has to be managed it's an incredible amount of work trying to um, think about you know budgeting and planning and shopping and getting the best deal for things and figuring out how to fill in the gaps so it's a huge amount of work. And so if people are fall into depression, which is very common among people who are food insecure, it just makes all that work so much harder. That was Dr. Elaine Power, Queen's University professor and food insecurity expert. Finally, I also had a brief discussion with former city councillor, health equity researcher and expert, Dr. Mary Rita Holland, to discuss progress seen from her perspective as a city councillor at the end of 2022 and more. 
My name is Mary Rita Holland. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, I'm a 40, f former municipal counselor for the Kings Court Rideau District, and I'm currently teaching at Queen's. I'm now in the um, political science, political studies department, gender and politics, and have taught in kinesiology and health studies as well. Great. Thank you. And coming from a former city councillor, just to give people a perspective of where we're at right now, starting 2023, what kind of initiatives have the city of Kingston taken in 2023 to tackle the issue of food insecurity? Yeah. So, so far this year, I know, well, I mean, I know what they had been working on sort of part just at the end of my term 2022 and the work that continues has been, um, a few more spaces available that offers food on site. So places like the new um, facility on Adelaide Street uh, overnight shelter, and then also on Concession Street, there has been just in the last year, uh, expansion of the services there where Lion Hearts, uh, which is an organization that's been providing free prepared meals uh, is, is involved and they're making sure that people who uh, need a place to come and be warm and and uh, be fed, have that. So there's been an expansion of, l let's say, quote unquote, traditional forms of um, addressing food insecurity in the city over the last while. And that that certainly has been, that's come about mainly due to the severe impacts of the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think we would have seen the progression in the need for um, services for individuals who are un unhoused if it weren't for the pandemic. I mean, things were not good before, but there, it, this crisis level has to do with, pen yeah, the, the dual um, crisis of, well, I guess it's it's major overall major structural problem of lack of affordable housing and the opioid op opioid epidemic and then layered on top of that the pandemic where people weren't able to be in congregate settings in the way that they had been in the past uh, has has led to this need to invest in some of these short term measures um, which are emergency crisis based that the city's put into into action. Dr. Holland also had some details to share regarding a project she's currently working on with Dr. Elaine Power and Dr. Susan Bellier on the topic of food insecurity. As for their findings so far, Dr. Holland had this to say. So it was actually, um, initially it was Susan's work. So it's based on her PhD research. Uh, I'm just kind of coming in late in the game to help uh, prepare this paper, hopefully for publication and with, of course, Elaine's advice, because she is... Um, She's been writing in this area for a long, long time now. So um, the research that, that's relevant to Kingston was looking at um, people who are living in food insecurity who we wouldn't typically associate uh, with being poor, for example. Uh, so people who just essentially broadening our understanding of food insecurity and precarity, um, because I think this is the case more than ever now, uh, people are not able to pay like regular bills, you know, regular, regular expenses the way that they once were because of inflation. So, I mean, the paper was in a different context, but um, the same underlying finding, which is that we need to stop thinking about um, food insecurity as a problem that only affects those who are on social assistance, but it's something that can happen to anyone. It can happen um, at a certain stage in life. And it can happen um, no matter income level, no matter um, employment background, those kinds of things. Uh, so it's an, it's an important issue for everyone. Thanks to Tracy McDonough, Dr. Elaine Power, and Dr. Maria Rita Holland, we now have a grasp on what the landscape looks like in Kingston and Ontario.
In our next segment, we'll be featuring some interviews with some local organizations dedicated to alleviating food insecurity in Kingston. And then in a third segment, we'll be sharing what the experts you heard from today have to say about how we ought to move forward to confront this issue head on. Be sure to stay tuned on CFRC 101.9 FM to learn more about food insecurity in Kingston and how you can support your community.